they have to have a good knowledge base. And that knowledge base, of course, is added each year the student of the student's career. But uh, we build that foundation in the primary grades. And the, that foundation, that knowledge base foundation is given uh, root in, the, in K2. You're listening to Classical Etc., a show from the Memoria Press Podcast Network, where we offer an in-depth look at the philosophy, culture, and heart of the Memoria Press family. Now, here's your host, Shane Saxon. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Memoria Press Podcast. Today, I had the chance to sit down with my coworker, uh, Michelle Tiefertiller. Michelle has a lot of experience as a primary educator in the classical Christian world, and now she works to train other primary teachers all around the country. And we got to talk about her journey from public education to Christian education to homeschooling. And just listening to her, you're going to hear the importance of just the fundamentals, reading, writing, arithmetic, and phonics. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I think you will too. Here's our conversation. Michelle, there's a question I've been wanting to ask you for a long time, and that yes, is... Yes, I will marry you. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to start it off right. Just wanted to start it off right. There you go. Actually, sorry, I'm already married. No, Michelle, the question I would like to ask you mm-hmm. is, how did you get as much experience as you've gotten in education, and yet last year was your 10th high school anniversary? I don't understand how that math works. <laughs> right. You promised me we weren't going to talk about my age. And yet here we go right off. First question. It, you cannot have that experience unless you have lived longer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I understand. So it's from a, a longer life and from moving around the country a bit. Yeah. So you told me that you started in Oklahoma in public school, right? Correct. Correct. I graduated from Oklahoma Baptist University and wanted to go straight into teaching, which is what my degree was in. Um, But that was not the plan, evidently, that God had for me at the time. Um, uh, My principal that uh, I had done my student teaching with, which is the last one of the last things you do in your education program, um, she wanted to hire me. And so she called the superintendent and said, I want to hire this girl. And the superintendent was kind of a good old boy, and he did not take kindly to a principal saying she wanted someone, and so I was not hired. He did interview me, though he told me I should go back and get more science and technology, science and math, more science and math, which I did not want to do. And he told me I looked too young, that the kids would never obey me because I looked too young, and... That was kind of the end of the interview. I did not get the job, evidently, and went into law and was working for an attorney. And that same principal called me a year later and said, I'm at a different school. I have more power. Come work for me. Nice. So, and then you were in primary right away? I was in primary right away. She Now, I had wanted to be around fourth grade. That was kind of the, the age I was going for and thought that that's what I wanted. And she said, I see you as a first grade teacher. And she was pretty wise. Um, first grade was a good fit for me. Yeah, so small town Oklahoma. What what was the public school like, and what what did what were the things that you didn't realize going into it, coming from your college education? Yeah, it was McLeod, Oklahoma, is the city I worked in, and you've probably never heard of it. It's very small, um, very uh, high uh, percentage of um, Native American students, uh, Kickapoo Indian tribe. Look him up. 
pretty interesting. Um, but they um, ha- had a lot of students on free and reduced lunch, and it was just a, it was a hard area to work in, but I loved it. Um, I was completely unprepared to work, which is interesting from someone who graduated with pretty good grades. Um, and uh, but I had learned whole language in school. And I could teach some whole language. Yeah. So what is whole language? I mean, explain that to me. Whole language is a way that you teach reading where you um, teach students a whole word. So they look at an entire word rather than looking at the smaller pieces of a word. So they learn to read the whole word uh, twinkle, for instance. You would take something familiar to them like a nursery rhyme, twinkle, twinkle, little star. All kindergartners know that rhyme or most of them do Um, and so you would show them the whole poem twinkle twinkle little star and you would point to the words and have them say the poem with you and your hope would be that they would then uh, somehow magically remember the word twinkle little star and all the other words from that poem when they see them later in a different text Um, it sounds interesting Um, it does not work Um, and about four to five weeks into school, I realized that I needed something different. Um, I needed some phonics. They needed to see smaller pieces, and they needed tools to be able to break down words that they did not know. And but you said you were pretty good at teaching whole language. I'm telling you I was. And and the students could, they had memori- they memorized all those poems and nursery rhymes. And when we did the charts, they could do them. But when I showed them another sentence with those words in them, they really couldn't um, distinguish them. And so... Uh, my I went to my principal and she went dumpster diving and found some thrown out open court materials, which open court was kind of the other end of the spectrum to whole language. It was a very Spalding like type uh, phonics program. Okay, what what is that? I saw that I saw that question in your eyes coming up. Um, Spalding is one of the two main categories that Cheryl Lowe always um, said that. All phonics programs fell into one of those two camps, a Spalding or a uh, more of a Orton-Gillingham pathway. And Spalding would just mean that you teach the student all of the ways to, to spell a letter or a sound. So you'd say A, and you'd say A blank E says A, AI says A, AY says A, a uh, and you just go through all the other ways you could spell A, and you teach them all of that all at one time. Okay. Um, which... Um, there are some very good Spalding teachers out there. I'm not negating that. But that program by itself also does not work because the student cannot distinguish all of those different sounds. When they see a three-letter word, they have to rifle through all of the ways that that A could say A. But that but was an advancement on whole word. It like was. Like it was moving. It was. An, it was a, I found that I was, I, I went to both poles before I was trying to find my way back to center. And, um, what I found was that elements of that open court, uh, the free open court materials my, my principal gave me with the whole language seemed to do better. Um, but um, uh, I started to, uh, we, my husband and I started a family and we moved. And so I never got to complete kind of my transition, if you will, back to back to uh, a center that would have been perfect um, with the materials that I had. Um, yeah, you were in so public school. So then was it you homeschooled your children after that? Because I know you've, you've told me that you had 
experience in all the different forms of education, basically. So, no, there was a there was a gap actually between my experience in the public school sector and my transition to um, homeschooling. Uh, we moved around the country a bit. Part of my leaving the public school program was my husband got transferred. Uh, I had two small children and, um, uh, we moved from coast to coast pretty much. And when my, when my oldest son was ready for school, we happened to be in a place where, um, in Oregon and, um, I wasn't familiar with the public school system there. Uh, my experience with public school was that there were some good teachers there, but you you wanted to be involved and know who they were, and I didn't know anybody there in that area. Um, and my child's education was too important to me to roll the dice and hope I got a good teacher. So uh, our church had a small Christian school affiliated with it, and... Um, I enrolled my son there and was asked to teach there too, and they happened to have an on-site uh, program for his three-year-old sister, so she went to some classes each day, but she was right there on campus with me. It was like the perfect situation if you wanted to work and have your children in a school. Well, before we were moved with my husband's job again to Louisville, and um, or Louisville, as you should say it if you're a native, I try to practice my correct saying. Um, so we got to Louisville, and my kids were school-aged, and we were moving mid-year, so we, I had to find a program right away, and I got them each in a small Christian school here that was using Nebecca because that was familiar to them. Um, but they were at different schools. I couldn't find them a spot in the same school. And around that time of that move, I felt like God was leading me to homeschool. Um, I had not been familiar with homeschooling, didn't really know a lot about homeschooling, but I was a, I felt like I'm a teacher. I can do this. Easy peasy. Uh, and the homeschoolers <laughs> are all laughing at this point. They're laughing and laughing because there's nothing easy about being a homeschool uh, parent. Um, anyway, so I felt God was leaving me to, leading me to homeschool. Um, and I uh, took that seriously and homeschooled my uh, older two children, had a third one, homeschooled him through second grade, and around that time, my daughter, about two and a half years in, my, my oldest daughter said she wanted to go to school, and upon further investigation, found out that she wanted to go to school because she wanted a locker. Okay. I and mean, it was real technical. Sure. Yeah, she wanted a That's locker. That's a reason. We, but um, just having had that, that third baby and he was needing more attention, um, I thought, well, we could start looking at something. And I found Highlands Latin School. I had a friend. She was actually the librarian at my church. And she said, you should check out Highlands Latin School. And I started researching. And I came upon Cheryl's, some of her articles, and found out she was speaking. There was an open house coming up. And I actually attended and listened to her speak. And I felt like that person in the back of the Baptist church yeah. that's like, amen, brother. Yeah. yeah that dog will hunt. Uh-huh. I would have shouted had it been appropriate. Yeah. Um, everything she said made complete sense to me, both as an educator and also as a parent. Um, I knew I wanted something better for my child than was there. Um, and I saw her, the logic in her, um, in the way she laid out her argument for classical education and in fact, there was another, she was speaking again at a time when my mom and dad happened to be visiting in town. And I said, mom, you've got to go to this with me and listen to her. And she was the same way. 
she and I left that second time and I thought this is where did you start teaching right away then no actually no my older two children went through the program this was way back in the early days when it was just it was still kind of a uh, mesh between homeschooling and a homeschool program and a cottage school type program it was only two days a week my my students did go all day they both went all day but it was just for two days a week. So those other days I was still teaching them from home, which is kind of what I was looking for at the time anyway. Um, uh, but they they thoroughly enjoyed the program, and um, I was a very involved parent. Um, I was at everything. Uh, they did ask me to teach at some point, but um, I was still having babies. So, you know, that, that was really a little bit more important to me at the time, um, but uh, Cheryl was an inspiration both to uh, myself and to my, my kids. She, you know, my, my oldest two were lucky enough to be in her classes. They, in fact, they had classes with some of the greats. They both had Martin as a teacher, Martin Cothran and Wendell Berry. I remember uh, my oldest son doing a paper for Wendell Berry, and just it was quite the, quite the, uh, experience um but yeah back in the early days um but when uh my youngest child was going to be in kindergarten I went to Mr. Wheatley and said I think I'm ready to teach now she's going to be in kindergarten next year I'd like to teach and I but I want to teach you know here for you um and so they hired me after I begged and pleaded and I think maybe I paid them that first year yeah but, but it was worth it. It was worth it. So you had started in Christian or public school. You went to Christian school and then coming to class school, Christian school. From homeschooling. What's that? What was different about class school? I mean, it, was it different in your experience? It was very different. In fact, each step along the way, every every uh, situation was different from the other. Um, in classical, between classical and Christian and public school, of course, Christian and classical are similar in that you can talk about your faith um, you study, you actually study the Bible and um, learn about those things. Not that I couldn't live my faith when I was in the public school sector. I, I did live my faith, but uh, less openly, if you will. Um, I didn't necessarily have Bible verses on my walls. Uh, when there was student conflict, you couldn't go to the Bible or to Bible characters as examples for how you should live and that makes a difference in student a difference in student character you can tell a difference in the character of students um in the public school sector and the private school sector even on the primary level with the even the primary school students um they tend to they it, and it's amazing but they tend to be more forgiving of one another more encouraging of one another um uh, some of that, too, I think has to do with the teacher's ability to be able to squelch any negativity from students without worrying about the repercussion from the parents because the parents really are uh, pretty much on your side as an, as the teacher um, and you're working for the same goal, and that's the, really the goal of an education is to build the character of the student. Um, and so, you know, that's easier to do when you are of like mind. Yeah. So what does the classical element look like in a primary education? Because I think we talk about it a lot on the high school level. But what does it mean for little ones? 
Well, we're not talking about Aristotle. Yeah. Why does that, <laughs> oh, okay. um, in, the, in kindergarten or the primary grades, really the classical piece in those primary grades has more to do with traditional pedagogy, um, the teacher-led, teacher-led instruction. Um, we do pull in classic literature, so classic children's literature. Um, we, we study those, uh, those books that have something that we can learn as far as character building. Um, we study those. We learn uh, math and phonics in a more traditional way, not necessarily that it's classical, but it's certainly more traditional. Um, and we prepare them. So those primary years really are preparing the students to be able to have a good classical education. Yes, we talk about Latin some. We will count in Latin. You know, we'll learn a few things. We'll learn Sergite, you know, which is everyone stand up. So if I told my class Sergite, they would all stand up. So we learn a few Latin words. But as far as it truly being a, a classical education, the difference is really going to be more in uh, the pedagogy rather than what is studied. Because you still, I mean, we're learning to read. There's not really a classic way to do that other than, you know, you might say that phonics, teaching phonics is more classical, but really it's just more traditional. It's the way we taught students how to read 100 years ago. So, Michelle, you've seen a lot of kindergartners, first graders, second graders who you have taught with traditional pedagogy go on into classical education and really succeed. Um, How have you seen the direct link between your pedagogy Mm -hmm. and their ability to to take on tasks that seem kind of insurmountable with other forms of pedagogy. Excellent. So I think you're asking me how, you know, how does the classical education that we provide in the primary grades carry on through their education career through, um, and, and you're right. I've seen a lot of them come and, and, and then go through to graduation. Um, the students that are given the foundation and, the foundation in primary is specific because you're teaching them to read, you're teaching them to write, and you're teaching them their their math facts. When when those students move on to the grammar school state, the grammar school ages of third through sixth grade, they have to have a solid foundation in reading, a solid foundation in phon- with that reading phonics with phonics as well phonics and reading, um, and they have to be able to write clearly and quickly, which cursive provides, which Surprise is taught in first grade, um, and they have to have a good knowledge base. And that knowledge base, of course, is added each year the student of the student's career. But uh, we build that foundation in the primary grades, and the, that foundation, that knowledge base foundation, is given uh, root in the in K two. Um, the vocabulary that we work on, our focus is vocabulary building. Um, all of those things help to um, help that student that goes moves on to third through sixth grade when the materials become more classically oriented, when they begin their study of Latin and they begin um, those more advanced math skills and begin studying classical history. They have to have that vocabulary base and that knowledge base to be able to have the focus and the stamina and the understanding um, to be successful at those grade levels. And of course, that piece is important for then the high school, the upper school, the, the middle school, high school piece. You can't have a Socratic discussion with someone who 
doesn't have the ability to read the material that they're discussing or have the thought processes or the logic, uh, the logical progression that's needed to follow those discussions. Um, that begins way back in primary. So, and that traditional pedagogy is basically what's led to this latest stage of your career where you're training people how to do this, right? How did that come about where now you're teaching teachers how to teach? Well, um, I was in, I was happily teaching my kindergartners and um, I, th- I can't remember who brought the opportunity to me, but they wanted some help uh, writing some curriculum which um, over the summers I was happy to do. And so I started working on the enrichment series for the primary grades, um, working on that. And as I began working on that, and I would say that's pretty classical because we pull in classical music and classical art pieces, but um, just to expose them to good music and art and literature. But um, as I was working on that, I thought, you know, this is really exciting and it's something new and I was probably starting to go through midlife crisis at that time. Why you know, you want to do something a little different. And um, uh, I started working with schools. I was offered to go and train some teachers over the summer, and uh, they found that they needed some more. The primary teachers, they didn't really have anybody who could train primary teachers. And as more and more schools uh, were transitioning to classical education and to Memoria Press, um, we needed somebody that could train the teachers on the pedagogy because there is a, a, a pedagogy that you use with our materials. They needed someone to train teachers on that, and there was, wasn't really anybody able to make trips. Um, and I uh, just went to Tanya and I said that I would love to do that more, you know, as a more full-time position. And so uh, she helped me to transition to that. And, and more and more schools, I've watched that grow as well. You know, when I first started doing it, there were, you know, just not many schools. And now there are so many schools that are transitioning that we have uh, people that do what I do in all regions of the country. Yeah. So we just have a few minutes left. But in the last few minutes, what have you seen that's been rewarding about being in other schools? I mean, have you had experiences with the, the light bulb with teachers that you had with kindergartners and first graders? What's the differences and what's similar? It is very rewarding working with teachers because if you think about it, when I'm in a classroom with, you know, 12, 14 students, I can affect those 12, 14 students. But if I'm working with a group of teachers or even just one teacher, um, I'm not just affecting 14 students there. I'm affecting all of the teacher, you know, all of the students across the board. So I feel like I can reach more students this way than I could have if I was just teaching the few in my classroom. And then, um, you know, I've been uh, blessed to be able to do a few online classes that uh, you and I did this summer uh, when COVID hit. And so that's always exciting. So it's always exciting to, to dip my toe back into the a classroom setting for a little bit and then but then get to come back and work with teachers. And there's something that we learn. You know, when I visit schools, I learn things as well. You know, there are a lot of great educators across the country, and they have uh, great ideas. And um, it's just been a blessing to work with a variety of students and teachers and parents and administrators. And me. And, of course, you, Shane. Michelle, I've enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Memoria Press podcast. If you like what you heard and you would like to hear more, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. My name is Shane Saxon, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.